Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to episode seven of Hometown Glory, your Spurs and culture podcast. I'm Charlie, and I am addicted to watching Antonio Conte bear hug terrified players at Tottenham Hotspur. Tonight, we've got Billy, we've got Tom, and guys, we had some shots on target and we won a Premier League match. Um, now, as is customary on Hometown Glory, I want one thing that you enjoyed from the Leeds game, and I want one thing that annoyed you. Um, Tom, you can start us off, please. At half time, I was just more furious than I've ever been, I think, at a Spurs ever, game. Ever, ever. Potentially, yeah, because I was sort of just ranting to anyone who would listen in the sort of concourse in the South Strand. Uh, I was, yeah, I was just so furious. Like, obviously, that goal happened, the Leeds goal happened just before half time. Uh, and I thought, the, fir- the first half, we were just so bad. The, the centre mids and the full-backs, I thought, were particularly infuriating. There was that, if we're talking an individual moment that most enraged me, when Emerson put the ball out, just passed the ball out for a corner on the, on the right-hand side, right next, next to the south stand. Um, that was an awful individual error. And I guess generally we saw like the best of some of our players in the second half, and the, like, the very, very worst of our players. Hoybier, that was surely, that first half was his worst half of football since he joined the club, I think. Uh, not helped by being next to Winks, uh, which is maybe a bit harsh, but they were both so bad in that first half. And then the irony was that Hoybier scored the first goal and also uh, Regulon, who was pretty terrible in that first half as well uh, then obviously got the second and again in terms of the worst and the best Lucas lost that ball so many times in that first half uh, was just he was so infuriating and then he made both both the goals and arguably did more than Son or Kane so those are my initial thoughts anyway but yeah half if you caught me at half time I was ranting at anyone who'd listen that those players had been terrible under four or five managers and then yeah the most joyous bit was immediately in that second half Kane hit the post 
and then Son hit the bar very soon after, right? And we were just jumping around going, we've had some shots. It really was such a low bar to be entertained when that second half kicked off. I mean, I, I was, I too was completely despondent at halftime. I, um, I sit very near Rosa and I sort of tried to be positive and she sort of very calmly told me to, you know, just calm down. We're not, this isn't a game we're going to win. And I don't think anyone at halftime felt otherwise. I think we were so, we were so terrible. We were so listless and being outworked and outpassed. And you know, I think we were all sort of telling ourselves all those sensible things like, you know, this is going to be a long process. Conte is not going to come in and work miracles. These players are, you know, by and large, these are just not good footballers. They can't pass. They can't do anything. Um, and then, you know, I think we saw what Conte will bring to this team short term, which is that shot in the arm of, you know, passion and energy and impetus that, that we saw in the second half. Um, Billy, what first half thoughts were, were you as kind of despondent as the rest of us? Yeah, I was, because I think, um, I remember, I think I just read today that that was six halves in a row that I shot on target, and that's a Premier League record, um, which is crazy when you think about it. Like, six whole consecutive halves of Premier League football without a shot on target is crazy. And um, I just thought they were better at us all over the pitch, like, man for man, outrunning us. Like, they were just passing it around like a training exercise at times, Leeds were. Um, I think considering they had, you know, when everyone saw the Leeds team, we were thinking, right, they have to fresh them here. They've, got, they've literally got half their team out. They've got all the best players injured, um, other than Calvin Phillips. Um, and yeah, it was just really, really disappointing. But then I think, like, um, my favorite thing about everything is I think it kind of like sums up what we hope Ante Conte will bring. Because, like, when we hired, I mean, when we hired Mourinho, we were sort of expecting him to take us to the next level and teach us how to be winners. And we didn't really ever get it. I feel like with Conte, like he was at every level was like lifting us, including the fans, including the crowd. And it's like, this is, it just feels like this is the guy who's going to get us over the line. This is the guy who's going to get us a win because he knows what he's doing. Um, and that second half, like when you imagine what we might play like under Conte, that's everything that we'd expect. Like the, like the ridiculous intensity. I think we had 11 shots in the second half, which is unbelievable. Um, with the second team of the season to outrun Leeds. Um, so only, only one other team has done that, which when you consider a few weeks ago under Nuno, we were sort of, we were like at the, literally at the bottom of the league for kilometres running the game. It's unbelievable. So I think if you could kind of like capture what we hope Conte is going to do, you'd have that terrible first half and sort of signifying when he took over us and we're in a bad position and sort of lifting us with the second half. Um, so yeah, uh, just uh, when he was sort of geeing up the crowd, it just felt unbelievable. Like, Everyone around me was just going mad. This, you know, this is what we wanted to see for Conte. I think I genuinely missed a couple of key moments of the game because I was busy watching Conte gesticulate. It, the way he kind of lives every move of the game. And someone was telling me that um, Fabregas had said that at Chelsea he gave sort of... Fabregas by that point had won everything and Conte came in and tried to give Fabregas like very specific instructions about what he should be doing and apparently it didn't go down that well but my thought with that was these players need very specific instructions they've been so terrible for so long I want him bollocking them every time they do something wrong and telling them precisely where to put passes this is why yeah. it just feels like there, there just isn't a manager in world football better suited to this job. And I feel like 
you know, you, you mentioned Fabregas there, Tom, and he'd won everything, probably not going to take too kindly to being told which five yards, you know, square pass he needs to play at any given second. Our best players, however, you know, if you think about the superstars of our team and Kane and Son, they feel like they're the sort of sponges that want to learn. They are desperate to win something. You know, they, they embrace Mourinho's methods perhaps more than any other two players at the club. Even our superstars feel like they're so ready to take on this winner's mentality to, you know, just learn everything this guy's got to offer. That It just feels, it feels really spot on. Yeah, and I do feel like it's not just the players that need this. I think us as a fan base, we need it as well. And I think you start to see yesterday, Conte is going to change us at every single level. Like, you know, there were times in that first half where the atmosphere was absolutely terrible. Like, you'd think, considering it was Conte's first game, I thought it was going to be buzzing for the whole game. But he, I think he kind of realised that. And if you notice, every, almost every single one of the players after the game mentioned the atmosphere. Um, it makes such a big difference. We never really saw that until Conte started geeing it up. So I think he knows what we need to do, um, not just on terms of the playing staff, but he's going to lift our club at every single level. And it's a really, really exciting thing. I kind of enjoyed being told off by him. My, um, well, a, a good friend of the podcast, Kath, who, uh, who sits very near I, where I sit and Rosa sits in the stadium. I think she tweeted afterwards about how much she also enjoyed sort of having her knuckles wrapped by Conte when, you know, I think it was what, 87, 88 minutes where, we just needed that last push and he was really giving it the full sort of come on, let's 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 hear you sort of gesticulations. And you're completely right that we need to ensure that the players feel it. It's it's bizarre to think about, you know, considering how long the stadium has been open now, but because of the pandemic, because of you know the fact that we moved in halfway through a season, we saw the sort of fag end of the Poch era, we saw the you know unsteady beginning of the Mourinho era, and then and then Nuno's mini reign. We've not had a period of time in that stadium where we played good football. We've been in the ascendancy in a literally a handful of matches. So the idea that I think, like you say, Billy, that he might come in and change everything from from the crowd up is is really exciting. And that actually leads me nicely on to um, the thing which annoyed me, which is <clears throat> I don't know if you saw the video after the game. It's like Stephen Bergwijn was really annoyed. It's like. This is the manager who's just come in. Uh, he's one of the top five managers in world football. He's an elite coach. And you're like annoyed at him for not picking you. It's like, this is, and I think it's this kind of attitude which has been holding us back for the last few years. It's like, what right does Stephen Bergwijn have to be annoyed at Conte for not playing him? It's like, you know, this man, we need to learn from this man. We need to, you know, give everything to him. And after two games of not playing, he's already sort of, you can see that attitude. Um, and it's maybe not something which you can totally read into and know everything about it, but it was just a little bit disappointing to see that kind of annoyed me about Stephen McGuire. So that was my thing that annoyed me. Just to say in that first half as well, I did go in absolutely furious. But as you said, as you were saying, Leeds were really good in that first half. And watching back, the, you know, after the sort of passion of the game had subsided, watching match of the day two this morning, um, Calvin Phillips was just incredible in that first half. And obviously I would take him in a heartbeat. He was so, so good. I said, um, I think I said on Twitter, it's, it's really weird when you see a player come to your stadium and that player is exactly the sort of player that your team is missing. And I feel like if you, if you plonked him into our midfield, we would instantly go up a couple of levels and we you know I, I, I agree with what you were saying Tom earlier about you know Winks and Hoybier both lifted it second half but I, I still think there are 
there's such a glaring lack of control that we have in midfield and an inability to just, you know, keep things moving, keep the ball moving, keep possession, you know, make teams work for it, find little triangles. It all felt so harem scarum, even in the second half, I think, when we stepped it up. It was all, you know, the passes were like only just making it to people and it was all, it all just felt like, you know, it could all, every single move could collapse at any point. Um, but we just about pulled it off. Tom, what was your moving on to pluses? Um, what was your what was the thing you enjoyed most? Well, like I said, the moment I was most buzzing was just when we finally had those first couple of shots <laughs> in that second half. Um, but do you know I enjoyed Kane not taking the free kick? I was so chuffed when Dyer stepped up to take it, and I know you know there was there was that weird moment for England where we'd never seen him take a, a free kick for Spurs, and he and he smashed it in for England. And now it's like, well, we've got to try someone else at the free kicks because Kane just hits the wall every time. And again, it was only when I watched the highlights back that I realised it did take quite a deflection. Uh, and good on, on Regulon for being in that amazing position. I was chuffed that, that, that Kane didn't take that. So that was one of my bright spots. And again, like, like I said earlier, Lucas, who we, we could play, there's a couple of bits we could play into this podcast every week at the moment. And it's the bit where we say that Lucas did amazing things and also terrible things. Uh, and he, he made both those goals uh, and looked as bright as, as Kane and Son, certainly. And the other, sorry, the other bit we could play into every podcast as well is the bit where we just say how good Hugo Lloris is because he also made a couple of, you know, we should have scored a couple more in that second half, but he made a couple of brilliant saves to, to keep us in it. And he's, you know, he is sort of underappreciated really because he is the consummate professional. And I guess at half time, after that first half, I was saying they can all go apart from Larice. And also my pro is that I've realised, Billy, is that it's so much better to just bomb it down to the, the goal line, the long bar, from, yeah. our, from our seats. I always moan about not being able to get Neko. It's like literally Amstel or Guinness in a can. But if we if we leave bang on half time and run down to the bottom there, it's fine. And the goal bar is like a weird human psychology experiment because everyone cues in the middle when there's no yeah, cue on the side. And you so we've, we've just, you side. know where the loser are on the left-hand side? Yeah. Like, they're, they're, no one's it's there. all the time. It's like, and how also, stupid can people be? That bar, there are so many staff, whereas the little yeah. bars by the seats, there's like two kids yeah. so confused about what they're meant to be doing. The goal line bar is so surreal. It's like, how do people not just realise you literally just have to go to the left, like one metre, and there's a, a staff. Yeah, and I think on that Lucas thing as well, I'm pretty sure that he was the one who put the ball in for both of the chances that hit the post and the bar for Caden Son. Um, so considering that, and the, you know, he won the free kick for the goal, he assisted the first goal. Um, there were times when we were sort of fizzing the ball into him and his touch was terrible. But I think in general, like most of the good things, well, in fact, if you if you look at it like that, all of the good things that we did came through Lucas at some point. So, yeah, I think he had a you know a typical Lucas game, if there ever was one. Also, th- that, um, that first goal that we scored kind of gave me a bit of Ajax vibes when he sort of had his back to the keeper and put it on a plate for Hoybier. That was kind of like, like a second goal at Ajax. So, nice little memory there. I, um, I was going to say, I, I think it was tough in particularly the first half because our... You know, it felt like our our path to starting any sort of attack basically involved the ball being whipped into him so ferociously with a defender right on his back constantly. And, you know, obviously Lucas's first touch can be very hit and miss, but 
we definitely weren't making it easy for him at all to sort of turn and run. It's weird, isn't it? It's not often with Lucas' performances until you actually sit and work out how much good his sort of persistent running did cause and create that you realise sort of his worth to the team. And he, and he works his socks off. He really does. And um, as Billy just hinted at as well, that the assist for the first goal was pretty brilliant. The position mm. that he was in to play a pass back with his, with his back to goal in such a calm manner to um, pick out Hoybier. Uh, and is, am I right in thinking Hoybier is now our joint top scorer or our top scorer for the season? I think, he's I think a, he's, he must be joint, he's got three. joint in the Premier League, is it? And then he's got three overall, which is probably... You know, if you if you take away Kane in the in the conference, it must be our second top scorer overall. I think he, yeah, I saw he scored as many goals for us <laughs> now as he managed for Southampton in like three times the amount of games or something for them. He's he's one that splits opinion. Clearly, I feel like I you know I'm, I'm almost too nervous to ever mention his name on Twitter now because I feel like he sparks all sorts of um all sorts of debate. But he, I think he's and I was very uh, I think my my probably my highlight for the game was just studying. Uh, Conte's hugs at the end and seeing which players were really going for it in return and which players looked absolutely like sort of mortified slash terrified of him and I think you can tell the ones that have really bought into him and he trusts perhaps and I think Hoybier is right up there he gave Hoybier what seemed like a very special big hug Dyer as well who I think I'm going to call out my sort of positive in-game um I think it's probably Eric Dyer's performance, actually. I think this is, you know, I think after Everton as well, I thought he was very good. I think he seems to be one of the main sort of winners so far from the, the early Conte games. And I enjoyed the fact that he, you know, quite right for someone who used to play defensive midfield for England in major tournaments, has sort of almost remembered that he can dribble with the ball a little bit and he can bring it out and doesn't have to just constantly do those chips forward that seem to be the Nuno instruction and I thought we we were building from the back a lot better through him. Yeah, I thought that was his best game for a long time and I think in the wake of Romero being injured it couldn't be coming at a better time. I thought he was sort of quite a creative outlet for it most of the time. I think it was a shame at times when he had the ball like no one was moving for him especially in the first half. It's like what you know like players like Son and Moore who are so good at making those runs just weren't doing it and like that was kind of frustrating at times but it wasn't on diet and I also think on that note um, thinking about the Romero injury, I know we were talking last week about Tanganga, who I did think struggled quite badly most of the game. I thought what was brilliant was when Sanchez came on. I thought he was outstanding for the for the small cameo that he had. Um, and I would have guessed that he's going to start against Burnley now. He's probably done enough in that cameo to to, to claim his place. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, we're kind of worrying what life might be like without Romero. And it looks like we might have to wait for a little bit longer until we know how long it's going to be. Um, I think now... It looks like Sanchez might have just wrestled a spot from uh, Tanganga. So, so it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few few games. I thought those subs were really interesting as well. I think, you know, when... Because Sanchez came on just... It was when the free kick... Just before the free kick was being taken, I think, uh, for the winner. And, you know, there was a lot of sort of confused looks in our block as to, you know, oh, is Tanganga injured? Or, you know, why are we making this sub when we need a goal? Um, but I think, you know, looking back... Billy's right, Tanganga did struggle. I think Harrison had an excellent game and they were playing that that diagonal ball across and Tanganga, for whatever reason, just didn't seem to be winning anything in the air at all. And then suddenly, um, 
Dav comes in and is just like cleaning house in the air. Every single chip ball they played up, that sort of route to goal for them just completely dried up. I think it's a really interesting like sensation as well when Conte is bringing on these subs. Like, if you imagine exactly the same scenario, Nuno is making those subs. Like, everyone would be going absolutely cr- crazy off the wall, booing all sorts. But with Conte, you just feel like I didn't see it coming, but I'm going to trust it anyway. I'm going to go with it. And I feel like everyone around me was like, would no, never have expected Sanchez or Sessignon to come on over people like Delhi and Tongi and Dombele, but this is the man we're going to trust. And I trust him. I would, you know, I don't care who he brings on. I trust it fully. Yeah, while we're on the fullbacks, I did think, yeah, Emerson and Tanganga in that first half were like truly shocking together on, on the right-hand side. And also, uh, I watched Regulon's uh, post-match interview with uh, Match of the Day 2 today. And like, what minute did he come off? It wasn't that late, was it? But he was absolutely still panting like way after the match finished when he was given his post-match interview. And I quite liked, I watched it all play out, the Regulon sub, where there was a moment he went down sort of near our, um, sorry, no, near their box briefly. And I watched Conte see him sort of stay on the ground. And it was it was very brief, but he immediately got his assistant to run over to where um, they were warming up uh, and call um, Sessignon back. Uh, and on Sessignon, I mean, I, I think he'll, he probably deserves, he'll probably start in the Europa Conference, but he was immediately getting into some really great positions. But the first thing he did was make a, a truly amazing run and then just smash the ball right across the box to absolutely no one. Uh, so, but you know, he's going to, he's bound to be rusty. They're only just let him outside, obviously. What a great, like, what a great cameo for him as well. I think, you know, to be trusted despite being out for so long, being such a ghost really around the place for what feels like years now, for, for Conte to show that little bit of faith in him to come on and sort of sit, help see out such an important victory, you'd hope would be the shot in the arm that he needs, particularly as I think, you know, hopefully some of these guys are going to have to and will step up in the Europa Conference and you know, it would be amazing if we can start looking to these sort of reserve players with a little more confidence than, you know, we certainly felt, you know, with Mourinho and Nuno, where both managers, it felt like very quickly decided, I can't trust anyone but, you know, the first team in this at all. Um, yeah, lovely to see Seth back. All right, well, that's pros, cons and some bar tips uh, for any South standards from Tom there. Um Let's look a little bit forward now. We've got Mura away on Thursday night. They were one of the single worst teams I've ever seen pitch up at uh, White Hart Lane for the home leg. I'm sure in uh, the finest sort of UEFA, Europa, Europa Conference tradition will make the away uh, away match look incredibly difficult. Um, we mentioned Cessignon. I would love to see 90 minutes from Ndombele Anyone else, anyone's especially looking forward to in what Conte has already said will be a rotated team? Yeah, I think we might. I know uh, it's like we've almost forgotten that he exists, but Brian Hill, I really want to see him because um, it's kind of weird. He was sort of a real bright spot in a terribly boring season uh, under Nuno, but he then got injured. And since Conte came in, he, I, I don't think I've seen a single shot of him hardly at all. So I'd love to see him come in. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with the striker. I'm guessing Kane's not going to play. 
So I don't know if that means Scarlet. I could imagine doing something weird like putting Son up front or something. I don't know. Like, I'm guessing, I don't know if Conte will go for Scarlet. Who knows? But I don't think Kane's going to play um, because I don't know if you saw that he ran the second most of any player on the pitch on for us on the pitch on uh, yesterday. So he's definitely not going to play out. I'd be very surprised if he starts. I feel less worried about Kane after Sunday. I mean, I know he didn't score, he didn't score obviously again, but he, as Billy's just sort of pointed out, running numbers wise, he's clearly working that much harder now. He seems a bit sharper. I think that chance he missed really early on in the second half, it was a shame that didn't go in, but it feels like he's getting in positions again that he just simply wasn't. Um, part of me wonders if he will play Thursday because it's it is kind of a must win isn't it and I feel like he might rotate you know the wing backs and bring in Tongi etc but I, I wonder because I mean I think as we've seen from conference games before if Son or Kane aren't playing there's just no you know there's no route to goal for us um, Tom what do you reckon he'll do? Well I guess it's uh, you're right Kane did look better against Leeds and he, he really put in a shift He's still dropping too deep, and because we don't have another striker, with like there's still no one in in those areas sometimes. Uh, but maybe it's a test for Delhi and Bergvine. You know, we we talked about Marine on the last podcast, and how Berg couldn't score against Marine. Surely against Mura, he he can do something. Um, and yeah, the Ndombele thing's weird, isn't it? Because he didn't come on the other day, uh, didn't come on against Leeds. And the final sub was obviously Delhi. So it's a big, like, if he does rotate, it's a big test for Delhi, Bergvine, um, yes, Sessegnon, Doherty, who, as we were saying the other day, also played well for Ireland. And I think, I didn't see it, I left the ground straight on the final whistle against Leeds. But people said he, Doherty, also had a weird sort of embrace with Conte, right? I think he looked, Bergvine looked noticeably miffed. I think to my eyes, Doherty looked more sort of surprised by suddenly being kind of leapt on um, by Conte. Uh, so I'm going to give Doherty the benefit of the doubt. I'm, I'd be really, I'm really intrigued to see him because I, I feel like he'll, he'll definitely start a right wing back is my guess there. And, It'll be really intriguing to see if there is any positive impact from Conte being at the club and, you know, him being this sort of wing-back whisperer if if Doherty can fulfil Billy's uh, sort of speculative punt last week that he's going to somehow become Cafu. I mean, we'll, we'll win, right? I feel like, is anyone stressed about Thursday? I, I do remember watching them at the, in the home. They were, they were shocking, weren't they? I'd be... I mean, it should. You would hope it would be a really comfortable win, um, and I think a lot of these players have got a lot to prove. I think when you look at the subs that came on against Leeds, um, you'd imagine Delhi is sort of right at the back of the queue at the moment. I know he's literally the last sub that we had, but just don't really see him breaking into the team anytime soon. The Premier League team, I'd be very surprised if he gets that centre mid stop. Um, and the way that Moore is playing, I, I can't see him replacing Moore either. So that's again, it's a it's, it's such a weird situation, the Delhi situation. Is it like what is the future for him at Tottenham? I, I can't really see it being fruitful. Um, so again, it's another opportunity for him to prove himself. But you know, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen with him in the in the coming years at Tottenham. I wonder if he. Um, I've seen a few people talk about this idea, but if perhaps he 
you know, gets turned into a sort of conference striker. And that's mm. not literally he plays in the conference in the fourth tier of English, fifth tier of English football, but maybe in a few years. But for us this season, he's, you know, Conte might try and work him into a sort of number nine type that you can just play up front against teams like Murrah and hopefully he grabs a few. But even that, I mean, every idea around Deli Alley at the moment just feels, I don't know, no one has much sort of hope, do they? It's very sad. He's had so many chances, but like peak, peak Delhi, I'd be like, great, play him up front. He can hold the ball up, rest Son and Kane. But yeah, like you said, for a long, long time, those Europa Conference and Europa League games, we've looked so toothless without Son and Kane. And it's just crazy because we should be able to rest them against teams like Mura and not even have them travel. But I think they will have to travel, like you said, as it's a must win. I mean, it's so bonkers that, not that we didn't keep Vinicius, but that, you know, he did have some worth early on in the season against, you know, the real Europa muck, if you like. And, you know, these, these are the fixtures we, like like you say, Tom, we don't want Kane or Son to travel. And if you have got a sort of average striker, albeit, but one that you know is going to probably take a chance or two against a team like this, simply because he is six foot plus, knows how to play up front and isn't a child. Like poor old Dane Scarlett, who I think has been sort of physically, you know, shown that he's not quite there yet so far in these matches. It's just, it's just insane. Um, hopefully put right in January. Yeah, I do think um, one of the things, that I, one, of the, one of the sort of things that I think Nuno got wrong was his treatment of Dane Scarlett. He kind of chucked him in in these conference games and he got absolutely no service in any of them. Um, and it can't have been good for his confidence, like getting hooked for Harry Kane in these games. Um, but you never know under Conte, you know, we have a better system, we have more creativity. Um, he might get a chance and he might actually get some assists and service. Um, it'd be interesting to see if it's handled differently under Conte because I think Nuno struggled to know what to do with him. And I felt sorry for Scarlett in the conference league because, you know, we all want him to be the next youngster coming through. but. At 17, I don't think the way that Nuno handled it is any benefit to him whatsoever. So maybe under Conte, it might, we might see some differences there. feels a little churlish, perhaps, to look to Burnley when we've not yet played Moura and who knows what might happen there. But um, I would assume, as we were saying earlier, Sanchez comes in for Tanganga. That's probably the only change, I would imagine, going into the Burnley game. I saw, their, I saw highlights of their game with Palace. I mean, two goals they scored... The first two goals they scored were like the most Burnley goals imaginable. They were both sort of headers and sort of bullied Palace's defenders to score. And then Maxwell Corne, their sort of exciting signing from Leon, scored an absolute, absolute gorgeous goal, absolutely gorgeous goal to to level it up after half time. He seems like he's the danger man, so that'll be. He plays on the left wing, so that'll be a, a tough assignment, I think, for Royale, who I think Tom you touched on probably. I took a step back against Leeds. I think he'd been one of our better players for the for the last sort of three or four matches and looked really quite shaky at times. So I think that'll be tough for him. But, you know, we went to Burnley and won in the cup. Again, feeling confident, guys, for that one? Um, I just hate playing against Chris Woods. Like, I think he's... When you mentioned selling Vinicius, like, 
I would have loved to have signed Chris Wood as a backup striker to Harry Kane. I think the last time we played Bernie, I don't think he played. Is that right? I, don't, I think he was injured or something like that. And that I think he came on, on maybe in the in the in the Carabao. Something, yeah, something like that. And I just felt like when I saw the team and he wasn't playing, I felt relieved. Like, so I'm guess he scored at the weekend, didn't he? I'm guessing he'll start on Sunday. He can, but you know. It should be a it should be a game that we go and win. I think we've got a really good run of fixes now, um, between now and the Liverpool game. Hopefully, you could see, you know, if we want to be anything like getting towards the top four, we need to win in all of these games that we've got coming up. Um, especially as for the first time in what feels like since we started this podcast, West Ham actually lost a game of football, which I'm sure Tom <laughs> is delighted about. Oh my sure. God, I'm over the moon. Uh, and they've now got a really um, tough round of fixtures, haven't they? And I think, um, yeah, Moyes was saying like, you know, we're not the finished article, you know, we're not. We're going to lose go- some some games like that. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm over the moon <laughs> that West Ham lost. Also on, the Bur- on Burnley, like they conceded three to Palace. So I think you'd hope if we play with anything like the intensity that we did in the second half uh, against Leeds, then we should be able to score a couple against them at least. And hopefully Son and Kane get on the score sheet, you know, because they really, really need it at this point, don't they? Both of them. Big time. Um, sadly, we didn't escape some West Ham pain this weekend as Spurs women lost to West Ham. Rosa, unfortunately, can't make tonight and we were all at the, the stadium for the for the men's game. So I don't think any of us managed to catch an awful lot we'll be completely honest there but yeah it seemed like a really disappointing result and Kit Graham who I think most of our good players gone through so far this season came off with quite a worrying looking injury so that's a, it's a bit of a concern but um, I have every faith that we will bounce back that's Tottenham covered we should move on to culture guys we're without um, Rosa who normally drags the levels of culture up um, to something approaching uh admirable but let's do our best billy what's your pick this week yeah i've gone from an ep from a producer called logic 1000 who i think is an australian producer um she has had a really good year she's really productive she's got loads of really good eps and releases over the last year or so um i came on to because i know that um Fortet started playing one of our tracks that released last year but since then she's had a string of amazing like club music that she's produced um this new one is called in the sweetness of you i think it's got five tracks on it and they're all kind of it's kind of like uh, a kind of very various different uk sub in there there's a little bit of uk funky in there there's a little bit of house in there and there's just some classic uk sounding club music i think she's definitely a producer to watch um she's an incredible dj as well uh, so my culture pick is the new logic 1000 ep in the sweetness of you um i'm not sure if everyone's noticed but i feel like billy is probably slowly building his dream um, his dream kind of lineup for what will eventually become a hometown glory club night in a Tottenham venue coming soon to you. So uh, this is Billy's very unsubtle way of putting feelers out, I think, to his his dream DJ. And of course, of course, it will be headlined by DJ EZ, of course. Tottenham of Zone. course, absolutely. Him and Norman Jay, headliners. Um, Tom, what's yours? Well, I feel disappointed uh, this week that I don't have loads of culture recommendations because usually if you've got more than one you get this sort of death stare from rosa on our on our zoom call <laughs> as as you just reel them out but actually <laughs> over the weekend i was obviously at uh, at spurs and didn't watch a lot of tv i watched oh the wheel uh, saturday night game show the wheel is excellent comes after strictly is that the is that the gary Lenneker one 
No, it's uh, Michael McIntyre. Oh, that oh that one. Okay. And the most recent episode had like Big Nasty and Claudia Winkleman uh, and Debbie McGee. It, honestly, it's just a really. I don't even like Saturday Night Game shows particularly, but that the the uh, format of that is really good. But again, I'm going to like just mention that as my sort of lowbrow pick. And then I wanted to recommend uh, an album that came out on uh, Soul Jazz Records a couple of months ago. And it's called Fire Over Babylon. And it's a compilation of reggae um, that was put out on Studio One originally. Uh, and it's a Soul Jazz re-release. It's mostly sort of 70s. I think it's all 70s and maybe early 80s reggae. But it's kind of um, the subtitle. It's called Fire Over Babylon. And then the subtitle is Dread, Peace and Conscious Sounds at Studio One. So it's kind of the uh, conscious kind of political uh, end of reggae, really. In terms of artists that I know who are on the record, there's only really um, Horace Andy who has an amazing voice and obviously sung with Massive Attack uh, quite a lot. But yeah, it's I, I got it on vinyl and then obviously realised it was streaming and I, I didn't need to kind of shell out for it. But it's a lovely vinyl and it's also streaming. It's called um, yeah, Fire Over Babylon. Just so much great reggae on there. And uh, yeah, after Lee Scratch Perry died, I went off on this sort of reggae tangent, uh, read a few obituaries of his and kind of then started listening to a lot of dub and reggae and yeah this compilation is is so so good as are most of the compilations that soul jazz put out very good recommendations guys very good um i'm going to pick a documentary uh that my wife and i chanced upon on friday night last friday night um on bbc2 uh it was on the artist bridget riley called the documentary is called painting the line um bridget riley was someone who i feel like when I started university and realised that I needed to sort of get into art if I was going to be able to hold any sort of conversations with girls doing art history that I really fancied. Um, she was one of like my go-to uh, artists that I suddenly got very into and would, you know, pretend like I knew a lot more about. So it was nice to remember that um, I've always been this pretentious and that's sort of something that started from many moons ago now um also just learning a bit about her she seems incredibly cool incredibly cool even sort of into her 90s a real visionary one of our greatest living painters i reckon so if you get yourself onto iPlayer, that's that was a a nice sort of um mindful relaxing sort of hour-long treat uh that i would thoroughly enjoy and then music wise because i'm going to get a couple of music ones in as well whilst rose is not here to uh, tutter us. I was trying to think of some albums I've enjoyed. I like the new Damon Albarn album. Again, it's not, nothing particularly exciting happens on it, but it's just a nice thing to sort of have on. And I feel like I've really lent into you know, working from home so much. Having music to have on in the house is definitely something I value, perhaps uh, more highly than I used to. Um, and I love the Summer Walker record, still over it as well. I would thoroughly recommend that. Um, I think she's terrific. Those are my picks. Those are your picks. Um, that's Hometown Glory, episode seven. Um, thanks very much for listening. Apologies for the depleted crew tonight, but hopefully Tom, Billy and myself have kept you entertained and still euphoric after 45 minutes of Spurs kicking footballs directly at goal successfully. Billy, see us home. Yeah, and just before I do, actually, at half time against Leeds, 
was the first time I've not been in the con. I felt I just felt so flat after the terrible first half that I didn't go to the con- concourse for like the first time in about five or six years. And we didn't even have anyone to replace Paul quite. Like, there's just no one. Nothing even happens at halftime now. I didn't know what was going on. So got to bring him back and up the Spurs. Yes, I'm excited for Beyonce's next album. Are you mad? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.